Hello, and welcome to the CCFA podcast. Today, we will be covering the Cold War and its effects on Latin America. I'm Christian Bonapani. I'm Casey Peterson. I'm Fallon Hurley. And I'm Anna Barley. Thank you for tuning in. The Cold War was a major event in our world's history that began in 1945. Many large countries were dragged into this battle fueled by communism, economics, and politics. The region that was by far mostly affected by this conflict was, and still is to this day, Latin America. During the Cold War, Cuba was viewed by the United States as a Soviet proxy. Because of this, the United States viewed them as a part of the Soviet Union and therefore a communist enemy. To this day, the United States still does view Cuba as a political and military enemy, enforcing trade embargoes and harsh, harsh sanctions against them. Additionally, in the 1980s Nicaragua, the United States helped fund a movement to end Nicaragua's Sandinista government. Ronald Reagan then ordered an invasion of Grenada, which helped uncover Cuba and Nicaragua's horrible treatment of its people. In 1991, the Soviet Union and its economy collapsed, causing Fidel Castro and his nation of Cuba to lose almost $6 billion. Latin American countries face political and economic instability. From facing trade embargoes, difficulties in paying debts, and poor democracies, unstable governments, and weakened structures. For example, Guatemala was stripped of resources and their rights, especially the poor. Castro sought to, to use his performance as leader of Cuba to boost his country. Attempts by the U.S. government to undermine Castro's new semi-government with similarities of ideology pushed Cuba into the arms of the Soviet Union and began years of dangerous political maneuvering that culminated in 1862 missile crisis and the day the world came close to nuclear war. The Cuban missiles occurred during the, the Cold War in October 1962. This occurred when the two superpowers of the United, of United States and Soviet Union came close to nuclear conflict. This crisis was unique in a number of ways because it featured calculations and miscalculations as well as direct and secret communications and miscommunications between two sides. In July 1962, the Soviet Premier Nikita Khrushchev reaches a secret agreement with Cuban Premier Fidel Castro to place Soviet nuclear missiles in Cuba to to feature any invasion attempt. Construction of several missile sites began in the late summer, but U.S. intelligence discovered evidence of a general Soviet arms buildup on Cuba. And on September 4, 1962, President Kennedy issued a public warning against the introduction of offensive weapons in Cuba. On October 4, two aircraft took several pictures clearly showing sites for medium-range and intermediate-range ballistic missiles. Some were under construction in Cuba and were spotted by the U.S. and reported to the White House the next day. This was the onset of the Cuban Missile Crisis. Many of the Kennedys Closest advisors had very different ideas to resolve this crisis, for such as an airstrike to destroy the middle, the missiles, and invade Cuba, 
and others had the idea of sending stern warnings to Cuba and the Soviet Union. But the president decided to go on the middle course. On October 22nd, he ordered a naval quarantine of Cuba, which legally distinguished the action from a blockage. On the same day, Kennedy sent a letter to Khrushchev saying that the U.S. would not permit offensive weapons to be delivered to Cuba, demanded that the Soviets dismantle the missile bases already under construction or completed, and returned all offensive weapons to the USSR. This continued through letters and worldwide television. On October 24th, Khrushchev repainted to Kennedy's message, and it continued that the Soviet ships bound for Cuba would be ordered to proceed, but some ships turned back and others were stopped by U.S. naval forces. But they can contain no offensive weapons, so they were allowed to proceed. On October 26th, Kennedy told his advisors it appeared that into a U.S. attack in Cuba would relieve the missiles, but insisted a little more time. On October 27, Khrushchev sent another message indicating that any proposed deal must indicate the removal of U.S. missiles from Cuba, and the U.S. instantly prepared for an attack on Cuba. On October 28, Khrushchev hazeled a public statement that the Soviet's motive, that the Soviet missiles would be dismantled and removed from Cuba. The crisis went over, but the naval quarantine continued until the Soviets agreed to remove their, their missiles from, from Cuba. Finally, on October 20, 1962, the U.S. ended its quarantine and missiles were removed from Turkey in April 1963. The American government wanted to make sure that no one moved into Latin America. The U.S. kept military forces in Nicaragua from 1912 to 1933. In Latin America, it was a century of conflict between capitalism and socialism alternatives. Mexico's response to these external and internal pressures aimed to defend the government's domestic legitimacy while quieting U.S. concerns. A similar pattern unfolded in rivalries between Central America, Andean, and South Cone states. Cuba's revolution inspired insurgencies and copycat rebellions which posed a new common threat to Central American states, while providing their militaries an alternative mission to historic robberies. The Cold War hasn't really ended for Cuba. The United States views Cuba as an ideological enemy. In the 1980s, the United States funded Contra forces trying to topple the Sinista government that had taken power in a 1979 revolution. Around 2001, when the new government Sandinista started, the U.S. declared it would not be allowed or accepted even though Sandistas were allowing loyalty and commitment to their democracy and new economy. In fact, when it comes to economics, U.S. officials have, since the end of the Cold War, even more smugly than before pressed Latin America to reshape itself in an idealized free market mold. In 1973, when a military coup put an end to the Chile's socialist experiment, neoliberalism, completely unregulated capitalism, was considered almost a fringe ideology. In Chile's junta had to back up its radical free market reforms with a reign of terror. The free trade areas of America 
is wide expansion that covers all of North America and is going to add more supplies to the United States with way stronger material. The North American free trade areas of Americas has opened up a lot of opportunities for the poor and wealthy Americans all throughout the countries. There are still reoccurring problems to this day with diseases and funding for all the peoples, but they are still trying to push through. Thank you for listening to this episode of the CCFA podcast. We hope you all enjoyed. Tune in next time.